On this very special episode of SSR, we are bringing together two icons of Kid Lit. Meg Cabot is my guest, and we are talking Judy Bloom, and I just can't tell you how cool this is. I am so excited to have Meg on the show that I want to jump straight into her intro, even though you obviously already know who she is. Meg Cabot was born in Bloomington, Indiana during the Chinese astrological year of the Fire Horse, a notoriously unlucky sign, but learned at an early age that a good storyteller can always give herself a happy ending. Her Princess Diaries series has been published in more than 38 countries and was made into two, so far, hit movies by Disney. Her numerous other award-winning books include The Mediator series, The Heather Wells Mystery series, and Avalon High. Meg currently lives in Key West with her husband and various cats. If you are anything like me, you are thrilled that there is a new Princess Diaries book, The Quarantine Princess Diaries, out this month which Meg will share more about later in the episode. You can follow Meg on Instagram at officialmegcabot and on Twitter at megcabot. It's a good thing that Meg is active on Twitter too, because it's thanks to one of her tweets that I learned she is a super fan of Judy Blooms and more specifically of the book Blubber. Blubber was published in 1974 in response to Judy's frustration about a bullying situation that was happening at her daughter's school. In it, main character Jill struggles to find her place in the social order of the fifth grade, and as a result, opts to jump on the mean girl bandwagon when Queen Bee Wendy starts teasing a classmate named Linda for her weight. The tables turn at the end of the book, but in the meantime, Jill lets some pretty crummy behavior slide, and is often involved with it herself. Over the years, Blubber has been extremely controversial, not only because it portrays brutal bullying, but also because critics believe it doesn't end with a real lesson. Today, Meg and I discuss those critical takes. We also talk about why Blubber has remained close to her heart over the years, what it says about the enduring truths of being a kid, the evolution of the language we use to describe bodies, the politics of working parents, and diet culture. I will caution listeners that there is discussion about fat shaming, bullying, racism, and abuse in this episode so please listen with care. I would love it if you would share this episode on social media. We are at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. Spreading the word about SSR in real life off the internet is obviously much appreciated as well. I also really appreciate SSR's Patreon family. Members of this community contribute a few dollars every month, as little as $1 per month actually, to support the show and get some awesome exclusive rewards in return. As a patron, you can join the SSR Discord channel, be part of the SWR book club, tune into bonus episodes and reading recap videos, read my monthly newsletters, and more. Plus, you get to hear extra Q&A content with amazing guests like Meg. Learn more and join the fun at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. A giant thank you goes out to every patron tuning in now. Episode 234 is brought to you by the AHK Writing Community. I started the AHK Writing Community last year in hopes of connecting aspiring fiction writers and sharing what I learned in my MFA program. Whether you think writing short stories could be a fun hobby, or you've already written half of a novel, you are welcome in this group. I offer accountability, workshopping, prompts, writing advice, sharing challenges, and lots of writing discussion. 
This week, we start something new, monthly writing office hours, in which members are invited to join in for virtual co-working sessions to stay on top of their creative goals. Check it out at www.patreon.com ahkwriters and feel free to send me a DM if you have any questions. I can't wait to meet you and to read your work. Okay, friends, it's time to hear from the one and only Meg Cabot. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Meg. Welcome to SSR. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I already said this to you. I can't believe you're here. This is so exciting for us. And I've been keeping this a secret from the SSR listeners for a long time. And I just know that now that they see your name in their little podcast player, they are freaking out that you're here with us. Oh, thank you. That's so nice of you to say. Well, I'm actually very excited and flattered to be here because I'm a listener to a lurker, really. And I just, I can't believe this is like a dream come true. So thanks so much for having me. Listeners, I'm screaming on the inside. You have no <laughs> idea. So we are talking today about a book called Blubber by Judy Bloom, which was published in 1974. And Meg, I have to tell you that often when we talk about Judy Bloom on the show, which is quite often, we think of her as like something of a patron saint of SSR because we have covered a lot of her books. We've also covered a lot of your books. I would say you're right up there with her. You're something of an (laughs) idol for us. Wow. So it's always exciting and interesting to come to one of her books. And I think Blubber is a really fascinating one. I'm pretty sure I didn't read it when I was a kid. Nothing really stood out to me when I was reading it recently as like things that sort of stood out in my memory. But I know that you have a history with this book. As I mentioned before we started recording, I'm pretty sure I saw you tweet about it one time, which is why I thought you might want to talk about it. But could you get us started just by talking about any memories that you have of it? Oh, my. This could take up the whole time. Go for it. (laughs) So I was exactly the target audience. I was the exact age. I'm totally aging myself here. That This book was written for, I think I was... Well, 1974, I was too young, but my mom got me this book. I think I was in the fourth grade and I was having a bully problem, like a problem with a queen bee. That would have been like around 1976. So maybe a couple of years later. And this book was so illuminating to me. It was like the Bible of, <laughs> because so first of all, I realized I wasn't alone. Like this was not, and also it was the seventies. Can I just say to, yes. I've seen so many people talk about this book and say, this is not realistic. This, you know, a teacher would have stopped this kind of bullying. Cause for anyone who hasn't read this book, this is basically, Blubber is kind of, I feel like it's the Lord of the Flies for, I hate to say girls, but it kind of is. I mean, yeah. it's for all, for, it's like a more realistic Lord of the Flies. These kids are brutal. Like they are awful. And there is no, no adult guidance. Literally, not, I think I actually wrote on the first page when I was reading it this time, I've read it so many times, but this time I was reading it more like with an eye that we were going to talk about it. So I said, I wrote, this book is the, about the exquisite cruelty of youth enabled by the indifference of adults. And that was the 70s. I mean, it really yeah. was because there was nobody and we were the latchkey. We were the original 
Generation X latchkey kids. And so many of the kids in this book are latchkey kids. Both their parents work and there's just, and the teachers don't care. But I loved it. I loved it as a kid and I still love it today because it's one of those books where, you know, and one of the reasons I think that it does get banned a lot is because nobody really learns a lesson. <laughs> I mean, the main character kind of does, but only after it happens to her because it's so realistic back then. I hope it's not like this now. I don't have kids, but I do know people who have kids and they're like, no, my kid, this something bad just happened to her and the, you know, they screwed it up. So I think kids are still in some areas. Well, I live in Florida, so I should just say. <laughs> in Florida, this kind of stuff is still going on for sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, I think you raise an interesting question about how this book might be read by kids today. And I think unfortunately, so much of this bullying that we see in Blubber has probably moved online and to social media. Yeah, I don't have kids either, and I'm in that age where anybody that I know who has kids, like they're two, so they're thankfully not being bullied in high school or middle school. But my understanding from everybody I've spoken to about this is that it's extremely <sighs> vicious and mm -hmm. maybe more so because it's happening away from the eyes yeah. of adults. And so it's kind of like Blubber and that like there's no, like, like you said, where are all the grownups? Maybe there was this time in the 80s, 90s, and early aughts where like grownups came in a little bit to be helpful, but it's almost like history repeats itself a little bit because it's like a different kind of latchkey kid that's able to just be online unsupervised. I did not even think about that. That is so interesting and so true. Yeah, for sure. That is a completely horrifying thought. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and makes me so happy I'm not a kid today. But I will say the thing that saved me with Blubber was and reading it was that I read it and then I went to my mom and I told her everything that was happening. And I said, you know, this is what's going on. I didn't want to go to school anymore. Mm -hmm. And she called my teacher and I had an amazing teacher, not like the teacher in this book who yeah. is the world's the worst. most, I don't know what's going on, but I love how Judy describes the teacher in the, and how she has her main character described. She just doesn't care. Yeah. My teacher totally took control of the situation, ended everything. It was great. So uh, even though it was the 70s, there were teachers who cared, a lot of teachers who cared. This book though, I don't think would work if it had a teacher who cared because yeah. that's how it's able to go on for so long. Yeah, it's sort of a worst case scenario within a worst case scenario in that way. So I, I like what you said about just establishing the baseline that this is the 70s. This is the problem that we run into again and again on the show. And even almost five years in, I'm still kind of like struggling to figure out how to do it properly, especially with a book like Blubber that has been challenged and has it's all been very public, like what's happened with this book. But we do have to remember that any piece of pop culture, any piece of media is a product of its time. And so we're looking at it from a 2023 lens. That's what we're here to do. We have to try our best. But we also, as you said, like have to remember that it was not written in 2023. And things were very different 50 years ago. So a lot of the things that Judy Bloom was trying very valiantly, I'm sure, because I trust Judy with my life, maybe don't land so well today and vice versa. Like it's hard sometimes to read between the lines, but we're going to do the best we can as we have this conversation. I think what struck me the most right off the bat was that I didn't expect Blubber to be written from the perspective of a bully. Like I think yeah. I always knew that Blubber was a book about fat shaming and about bullying. But I think because I have now read X number of Judy Bloom books over the last couple of years with the podcast, 
I just always kind of assume that Judy's going to be like on the side of the underdog. No, yeah. And so I was like, oh, this is probably going to be really from the perspective of the person who's on the receiving end of all of the bullying. But no, Jill, the main character for the vast majority of the book, is very much on the side of the bully. And I think that that's really fascinating. I think it's really common. Mm-hmm. I think, it, and it's not that she's on the side of the bully. What I think Judy does a really good job of doing is showing that she's afraid of the bully just as much as everybody else in the class is. The bully is a girl named Wendy who's described right off the bat as president of the class. She's a super queen bee and you don't cross her. And if you do, then what's going to happen to you is basically what's happening to Linda, who is the character they all call Blubber. And nobody wants that to happen. And I think what she also did was do a really good job of showing that Jill, who is our main character, is insecure. Like, she has anxiety. She bites her nails. She finds out that her grandma is going to come visit, and that causes her so much anxiety that she has intestinal issues. And she's an insecure person. And so for her, it's going to be really hard to ever kind of stand up to a bully in the in the first place, especially to a queen bee like Wendy. Meanwhile, though, that's kind of, I love how she counters it with the fact that Jill has a great best friend named Tracy, who is in a different class. So Jill doesn't have anybody else that she can really depend on in her class. And so she's kind of stuck. She always has Tracy outside of school, but she doesn't have Tracy inside of school. And Tracy knows, like she has Wendy's number and she keeps telling Jill like, hey, why are you you know, what's going on here? All, kind, not all the way, like it kind of starts in the, around the middle of the book. Tracy gets an idea of what's happening. And that only then is when Jill starts having the confidence to be like, oh yeah. And if that is not the most real thing about being a kid, it's like if your best friend is in another class, mm-hmm. oh my God. Like I remember years like that, you know, there were years when all of my best friends landed in the same class and we're talking elementary oh. school. So you're not changing yeah. classes. The people who are in your class, you spend all of your time with. And those, of course, would be the best years, like all of your friends were in your class. And then there were years that all of my friends maybe were in one class without me. And then you're, that's, I mean, that's the worst. And then you're forced to sort of figure out what your daily group is going to look like Mm -hmm. in this year. And I think that's how a kid like Jill, like you said, ends up spending time with Wendy and Caroline, who who is kind of Wendy's sidekick. And I said earlier that she's on the side of the bully. And I'm glad that you kind of pulled me back there. I feel like She's actually just sort of in survivor mode a little bit because she's just trying to not, she doesn't want to be on the side of the bullied. Right. But that doesn't necessarily mean that she is on the side of the bully. And I think when you're a kid, you don't necessarily know how to tell the difference between the two. Judy's been pretty open both vocally and then in a chapter that's at the end of this reprinted copy of the book that this book was inspired by something that happened in her daughter's class where there was a lot of bullying going on and her daughter didn't feel safe talking to an adult about it. And that's a tale as old as time. Like we're still trying to teach kids and adults how to talk to the powers that be about things that happen to them. And, And that's a really challenging moment in your life. And I like that Judy Bloom was like trying to use her power of the pen to like, yeah, empower kids like her daughter who weren't sure what to do in that situation. Jill is, is an interesting choice, an interesting voice for that. And I'm sure she lands really well with some readers and that maybe some readers really struggle to understand how they're supposed to like 
learn how to do this from her. Right. Yeah. No, it's not an easy book. Yeah. It's not. It's not a book where you come away and like, oh, everyone learns a lesson, yes. and, and it has a neat and tidy. And it doesn't. And that's what I loved as a kid about it because it seemed to me I, I would have called it a realistic book. I, I kind of think of it as a horror novel in a way. Yeah. <laughs> where where people everyone survives, but they all have they're all like battle hardened by the end. Like they live, but it's a different world. It's definitely like they've been through something dystopian. And Jill has the way that she deals with it. And I love it that she keeps on getting advice from the adults who are kind of paying attention like oh you know just laugh it off or you should have a fight and it's like not realistic and we all know any of us who've been in a situation where there's bullying is that doesn't work so what jill has to end up kind of doing i don't want to totally give it away but i guess we're we allowed to do spoilers is she has to use kind of manipulation yeah. to make the situation better for herself and by doing so ends up making it better for everyone although it's still not perfect in any way it's actually not even good <laughs> or something ideal. And I think that's what a lot of people have problems with. Like the teacher never finds out what's been going on. And in fact, the teacher's like, after the big massive fight that the kids all, all have, where Jill finally confronts Wendy, the teacher comes back into the room. She's like, oh, you kids are being so nice and quiet. It's yeah. so lovely in here. And it's like, oh my God, they basically almost killed each other. Yeah. And it's only quiet because they're all just stunned by their, what they just did. In that way, I thought that was really realistic. Yeah, I do think there's a realism that comes with all of Judy Bloom's books. I love the way she writes from a kid's perspective early on, just the way that we get into Jill's head about the way she's like observing the world, her matter of fact statements about what things look like, what people look like. Those things can be hard to read, but that's very much how people absorb the world when they're little. And I think that's obviously one of Judy Bloom's biggest strengths. And all of this starts blubber starts because linda makes a presentation in class about whales and wendy the mean girl who you know we'll just call her the mean girl she's like the original regina george she decides that it would be a great idea to call linda blubber because during her presentation linda uses the word blubber to describe a biological thing about whales like a right. thing that keeps them warm and so this book is of course like very steeped in language about weight, about fatness, about body size. And so it's sort of impossible to talk about it without taking a little bit of like a time traveling journey through how we over oh my generations God. have right. like thought totally. about all of this. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, do you remember when you read this book in the late 70s as a kid? Like, do you remember if the stuff about bodies, about body size, if any of that felt weird to you or if it aligned with things that you were absorbing just from like living in the world? You know, it did not. It because I think, and I noticed this reading it again recently, Judy takes great pains to point out that Linda is not the heaviest girl in the class. She's not the heaviest kid in the class. There are other kids who are heavier. So what's happening with calling her blubber even though it is obviously about her weight, it's about something more. And when I was reading it this time, I kept being like, why is this happening to Linda? Because she takes great pains to tell us that this isn't just about that. And there's even a line where Wendy says, because Linda, of course, goes on a diet. The poor thing. I mean, this is horrible. She yeah. goes on a diet and Wendy tells her it doesn't matter. Even if you get down to 50 pounds, you're still going to be blooder. And it's something... That then there was a line that I, I saw later on where um, Jill, Jill says, and it was just, it broke my heart. 
at the very end, she says, you sometimes have to make the first move or else you might wind up like Linda, letting other people decide what's going to happen to you. And I was like, is that what, is that what it was about Linda? Because I think we all probably remember, if we do remember our school days, that there were those kids that got picked on and it was something, it, you know, it could have been the person's weight, but it wasn't always. I mean, it could have been the way that, I remember there was a kid who in my class who ate everything counterclockwise, like, mm. in, and people picked on him for that. And it's just like, there's always just something and it sometimes could be just a weakness, any yeah. kind of weakness, if there is somebody in that class. And for me, when I got picked on, it was because um, my mom was very strict about what we were allowed to watch on television. And I was like in the fourth grade and still only allowed to watch Sesame Street. And everybody else was watching Starsky and Hutch. And so I was the baby. I was like baby, the original baby Brenner, which is what they end up calling Jill in the book. Like they thought I was super immature because I only was allowed to watch Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers. So that was my weakness. And I'm not saying that there's not fat shaming because there totally is. There's actually a scene in this book where a nurse makes all the kids be weighed in front of each other. I remember that. They used that. to do that. Yeah, That's I insane. That. Did, did they do that to you in your school? Yeah, they did that to you in my school. Oh my God, that never happened to me. And I was a 70s child. Yeah, <laughs> I don't no, think they, they could afford they, a scale they, at my school. <laughs> they did that in the 90s. I feel like I was very much raised in the era of the, the nutrition pyramid. Like, do you remember when that was the big yes, thing? And like, yes, that was yes, what yes. we were learning. It was very rigid, like what you were supposed yeah. to eat. And mm -hmm. I remember it being really stressful the day that you had to go of down course. and be, you know, measured and weighed. It was awful. It's horrible. Hard. I can't, I mean, I, I actually thought that that was just a weird thing about schools in Pennsylvania where this book takes place. Well, I am, I am from Pennsylvania. I am from Pennsylvania. Of course, it makes total sense. Twist. No, I yes, I am from Pennsylvania. Wow. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah, I, listeners, Indiana, we let us do know. That. Listeners, tell us if you got, if you two were traumatized. Yeah, if they weighed you. I mean, that, that scene is brutal. And then on the opposite end, Jill is too thin for her, yes. for her height. And she gets in trouble with the nurse. And Jill is a problem eater like she will only eat peanut butter sandwiches throughout the entire book and yeah. make such a big stink about it and i'm like oh my god her poor mother because <laughs> she won't eat anything and then of course she gets in when they start picking on her that's what they pick on her that she's a big baby because she only eats peanut butter so that's yeah that i thought that was pretty brilliant of judy to um point out she is so she's so anxious that she will only eat <laughs> peanut butter which is also a kid thing though like yeah. kids are I was a picky eater and yeah. so you know I ate a little bit more than just peanut butter but I, I definitely related yeah well and I think Jill is also so obviously insecure about her own body I almost wish that Judy had like done a little bit more with that because it's doing like a little bit of work now as far as like making me as a new to this book reader understand like part of Jill's feelings about all of this, like part of why she is quick to jump on the blubber train is about the fact that like she's ashamed of her body. Oh yeah. And so I wish that there had been like a little bit more of that because I'm not sure it went quite far enough and I saw what she was doing and I was like, I just want like a little bit more. <laughs> a little, yeah. No, definitely. And there's definitely, I mean, they, the kid that they end up making Linda have to kiss is the chubbiest boy in the class. Yeah. And then they start trying to do that to Jill and she's like, no, there's no, no. And that was like, oh, wow. But that is how, unfortunately, if you're a little bit different, you're gonna get called out for it yeah. in some way. And so it's, I think it was very realistic reflection, unfortunately, of those times and 
the current times are pretty much the same. Although I did see one reviewer who pointed out that now kids are all much bigger. So how are they going to be able to pick out? That was a terribly cruel review. It's pretty cruel. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh my God, that is going re really, 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 really dark with yeah. that one. I also wonder if like the evolution of the language we use about this stuff has changed. So I was thinking about like if I read this book in the 90s, or the aughts when I would have been like the right age to read it. I think that at that time, and this comes up when we talk about like race on the podcast, like I think at that time we were very much programmed not to use the word fat, not to oh, yeah. talk about people's bodies because fat was automatically assigned negative connotation and anybody who is fat should be offended if they were called the word fat. And that's something that I'm still unlearning because there is this new like movement about fat people proclaiming that they're proud of their fatness and like kind of taking the power away from that word, which I think is a really great thing. It's a hard thing for us to learn when we weren't raised that way. But I feel like in in the 90s, when I was a kid, reading some of just like the way that the kids were talking to and about Linda would have been like more appalling. Whereas now, if I try to pretend to be a kid that's grown up in the 2010s and now the 2020s, I'm like, maybe I feel like there's some power taken out of that word. I'm not sure. I like to think that that's like a positive thing that's happening. Again, not to say the kids aren't still horribly mean to each other because I know they are, but I always am just fascinated by language and like, especially the kind of language that we're raised in and with. And so I wonder if like the sort of emotional impact of this book because of the language has like, and I'm making a weird like roller coaster emotion with my yes. listeners. Like I wonder if it's changed just because the power that we assign to these words is always up and down. Yeah. I mean, the body positivity movement has is amazing. I don't know that if um, somebody were to read this today who'd never read it before, if, I don't know if that would work. Yeah. <laughs> it's so appalling. I mean, it's appalling. The stuff yeah. that happens, it's like, I, I, I was thinking as I was reading it, I'm like, this is like a giant asteroid hurtling towards Earth and like just spewing toxic fumes behind it. And then it's eventually, it crashes. And then, you know, those pictures of the asteroids that have hit the Earth and all the trees are down all around it. I'm like, that is what her classroom is like because it's really bad. The kids are really just horrible to each other. And there's so much stuff going on though, kind of these throwaway lines. They seem like throwaway lines that Judy puts in there where you suddenly realize kind of not why this is happening necessarily, but there may be some reasons behind it. Like I just noticed on this reading that all of the really mean girls live in Hidden Hills. Yeah, Hidden Valley. Yeah. And there's a, it's, there's a sign that, Jill, did you get this? Jill says that there's a sign in front of that suburb that says, watch for children. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, nobody is actually doing that. Like nobody's watching for those kids. Like nobody in this entire book is watching for the kids, except for Jill's housekeeper and Mrs. Wu, who's Tracy's mom. Seem like the only people who are actually kind of watching out for the kids and kind of aware of what's going on and, and a little bit of, of Jill's mom. But everybody else is just like, these kids are running wild and being terrible through the whole book. But she kind of throws in these little clues here and there about maybe why like there's just nobody watching the children <laughs> even though they're being urged to but yeah. they're not there's certainly not the teachers there's a literal <laughs> sign there were also some signs throughout that i thought were like interesting nods to just like diet culture stuff of the time like there was a moment when caroline observing that Jill is only eating peanut butter sandwiches. She's like, you're so lucky that you're that you're skinny. Peanut butter is full yeah. of fat. 
Yeah. And I just have like a personal interest in some of this stuff because of, and listeners know this, like I've been through my own eating things and I'm always like on a journey to figure out how I want to approach food and my body. And so I'm, I listen to a lot of podcasts about this. And so I was, I think probably more attuned to those clues than I would have been otherwise, but there's a lot of like fear of fat as a thing that you consume and a thing that like would make you fat, um, which I think was like very of the time. And then there's a moment when Linda is talking at the lunch table about how, how dare you like leave food on your plate there. Did you know that there are kids starving in other countries? Yeah. And I know that's also like a very generational thing. Like I was raised with that because my parents were raised with that, like the empty plate club. And like that also messes with your mind. All of these little hints, these little clues that I think Judy puts in like you said there's nobody like nobody's watching these kids and so they're forced to kind of parent themselves and to figure out how they as a group are going to function around food and their bodies and that's never going to end well no and it even goes further than that because I noticed during this reading when um, they're talking about what Jill's gonna wear Jill and her mother are talking about what she's gonna wear to a bar mitzvah and Jill says, you know what I'd like to wear is a long dress, which was very in in the 70s. I remember wanting a long dress. Like you could wear a long dress anywhere, which now we would call a maxi dress. But back then it was called a long dress because Tracy had a long dress and her mother had made her the long dress. And Mrs. Brenner, Jill's mother, is like, well, um, that's never going to happen because Jill's mom has a job. Like she works in the city and so does Jill's dad. Mrs. Wu is a doctor's wife who stays home all day and takes care of Tracy and is able to make Tracy an elaborate uh, Halloween costume that she then wins the Halloween costume with. And so I was like, wow, there's some kind of weird, I guess I was kind of thinking about how these social dynamics are the fact that like Tracy has a stay at home mom. And so she gets the long dress that's homemade that Jill really wants and the homemade costume. But Jill, whose mom works, she doesn't get anything. She gets a very nice housekeeper though, who does cook for the kids and, and is really kind to them. But I was like, wow, I'd never noticed that on, on my readings as a kid that there's kind of some, uh, and Jill's mom, Jill's mom throws a little shade at Tracy's mom when Jill brings up the thing about how Tracy gets to wear the long dress. Jill's mother's like, that's absurd or like, that's ridiculous about that she's ever going to get that. And Jill's mother goes out and buys her a scratchy, short, <laughs> body hugging dress that Jill yeah. does not want to wear and is miserable in and is scratching herself in the entire time. And it drives Jill's mother crazy. So that was also something I noticed that it was very interesting how that was kind of thrown in about how Jill's mother is very unaware of what Jill actually wants, <laughs> like how she wants to show off her body, which is that she doesn't. She wants to wear a long dress. I'm so glad you brought that up because I didn't pick up on that. And I, I had a working mom and I remember as a kid and Halloween is actually like a great example and Halloween comes up in this book, like my best friend's mom was a stay-at-home mom and my friend always had like the coolest Halloween costumes. Right. Yeah, because she had the time to make them. Right. But who, else, who does that? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody has the time. So I'm so glad you brought that up because I don't think I picked up on it. I was just like so appalled by everything else. And we've talked about like the language being appalling, but we haven't gotten into like the other layers of just like shocking abuse that happened at the school. So like they're being mean to blubber verbally, but it goes beyond that. And I was shocked by the physical, like sexual abuse that goes on in this book. A hundred percent, hopefully today, they would be expelled. Like all those kids would be expelled. There's sexual abuse. Yeah. Even one of the teachers at one point pulls Linda's hair, like the music teacher. I was like, what? Oh my God. Which I totally didn't realize that when I read this as a kid. I, I don't know if teachers were just routinely pulling our hair. <laughs> but that, no, nobody was. Hopefully not. <laughs> but no, I don't remember that at all. But yeah, it was 
terrible. There was a lot of pulling up of skirts and showing the boys your underwear, which was definitely a thing in the 70s. Oh, my God. You had to wear shorts under your skirts if you oh. were going to wear a skirt because the boys would otherwise see your underwear or try to see your underwear. Or if you were doing, you know, playing on the gym equipment, then if you did a flip, they would see your underwear. Right. And that was like the most appalling thing oh. for anyone to see your underwear. Trauma. So, yeah. But to physically hold someone down, which is what they do to Linda, and pull up her skirt and show all the boys her underwear. Yeah. That was, that's assault. They lock her in a closet at one point. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, they lock her in a closet. It was shocking. So the closet incident thing happens toward the end of the book when Jill decides that they're going to put Linda on trial, which I did think was like really cute. If I can use that word to describe anything in this book, because I remember as a kid being fascinated by trials. And one year in school, we put on a mock trial and I took it very seriously. And I became obsessed with this whole notion of like a fair trial. And so I appreciated that Jill was like, this will solve everything. Like we're going to put, we're going to put Linda on trial. And it's so childish. Her dad's a lawyer. Right. So she, Classic she lawyer some, skin. Yeah. 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 But of course they get it all wrong because Wendy's like, perfect. I'll be the judge. You guys, you're missing the point of a fair trial. I don't think you've gotten to this yeah. unit in social studies yet. Yeah. It was bad. Isn't that when they lock her in the closet? Yeah. So she's she, she can't even testify for herself. Correct. And the reason, though, that they do this is because they believe wrongly yes. that Linda has told on Jill and her best friend Tracy for having done a Halloween prank in Hidden Hills. Right. Fancy. <laughs> or Hidden Valley, whatever it's called, where no one's watching for the children. And um, we as readers know that it was not Linda. But Jill doesn't know. And Tracy, though, has a pretty good idea who it is. And she pretty much tells Jill. But Jill's like, no, it can't be Wendy. It's got to be Linda. And, or Blubber, as they call her in the book, horribly. And that's why they have the trial. Yeah, because at one point, Blubber had, had said to Jill, I'm going to make your life miserable, basically, yes. if you don't stop yeah. siding with Wendy. And so when Jill and Linda um, are ratted out because they've put rotten eggs in a neighbor's mailbox, yeah. Jill assumes that she's making good on this threat. And so that's why they end up putting blubber on trial um and yeah to your point it was not linda it was caroline and wendy who then sort of necessitate all of this community service for jill and tracy who then pee on the guy's trees yeah i forgot about that part <laughs> until this this current reading yes well they have to go and as their punishment they have to rake up this man's leaves the man who they left the rotten eggs in his mailbox and then they have to go so they pee on his they pee on his lips, which, you know, that was the least appalling part, I thought. Of the book. It was the I'm least like, yeah. appalling part. But I was like, Jill, I really, <laughs> I really just, I want to like you so much. And you peeing on his, tr it's just hard. She's a complicated character. She's she complicated. Is. She is. She's, um, she has a little brother who's adorable. Yes. Who she it has very little patience for as most of us little brothers have little patience for but occasionally they do get along but yeah as a writer i was fascinated by how judy created this character who you don't feel a lot of sympathy for but at the same time you i related to as a kid very much and i don't now of course as an adult i'm like how why <laughs> why did i 
she looked at the parent like she takes so long before she finally comes around to being like wait we've got to stop doing this why are we always listening to wendy and even then she does not befriend linda at all <laughs> but she doesn't stay friends with the bullies yeah well in the yeah. real turn it's exhausting it's exhausting <laughs> and i i will say jill has a real turn when i did start to really like her which like she has a hard line with wendy and that's when wendy uses a racial slur to describe yep. Tracy. Yes, Tracy, we didn't mention that she's yes. Chinese-American. She's Chinese-American. Yeah. And Judy's books are often criticized for a lack of diversity, for their general whiteness, which, again, was unfortunately very of the time. And in this book, it's very clear from early on that Tracy is Chinese-American and that Wendy has used this racial slur before, and she uses it again during the trial. And that's, to Jill's credit, when she's like, no, we're done. Like, I can't support this. And so I, I like the fact that that's where she is like, I'm done. Like she recognizes the fact that Tracy is a really good friend. Do I wish that she hadn't been so rude to Blubber? Of course, I wish a lot of things. But I mean, I appreciate any kid who understands like the weight of a word like that, a word that I'm not going to use on the podcast. But I think that there's always like a danger when an author like writes a racial slur for kids because you want to make sure that a kid understands that's not a word they should use. But I think that Jill's reaction is strong enough here that it is instructive for kids. And it's clear that like that's a bad word. We don't use that word. Yeah. And I think that throughout the whole book, it's very clear that what is going on. I mean, there's short lines, and I did underline every single one in the book, throughout the book where Jill questions what's happening. She questions, like, you know, I feel a little anxious about this. So she, so it is very clear to the reader that everything that is happening is not okay. And Jill doesn't feel good about it, but she, at the same time, is so insecure that she is incapable of stopping it until we get till she like you just mentioned she wendy goes over the line there's even a point where there's a statement jill makes about halloween where she says you know halloween pranks are fine when you throw dirty rotten eggs into a mean man's mailbox but you should not take kids halloween jack-o'-lanterns and smash them on the street like wendy does because that crosses a line so we learned very early on that jill does have a line yeah <laughs> and so apparently it's smashing kids jack-o'-lanterns <laughs> And then basically racism. <laughs> yeah, we all have to have so, our boundaries. We have to draw a line. <laughs> those are her boundaries. Racism and smashing jack-o'-lanterns. And it's interesting. And then uh, any food that's not a peanut butter sandwich. <laughs> right. I mean, not okay. boundaries. We're all about boundaries. So she's a very fascinating, interesting character in that as I was reading it this time around, I was like, she is basically... Germany. <laughs> and I mean, I hate to bring it up, but I'm like, Wendy's Hitler and Jill is all the Germans who are like, well, I, you know what? I don't know. I just don't want to get in trouble myself. So I'm just going to be here on the sidelines. And then finally, there's a point where she's like, nope, I'm joining the allies. <laughs> I'm going to do the right thing. And that, as I was reading it, I was like, this is such into me. That is why I love this. The genius of this book is it really makes you understand how people end up doing something that is so Ruey and wrong when they're generally, you know, pretty nice people and they can get sucked in by these very powerful kind of power hungry, I guess, people like like Wendy. Yeah. So I, it's, I've just seen it happen so many times in so many social situations where you just don't say anything because you're like, Ugh, it's, you know, it's a little awkward. Maybe I won't. I don't want the tension focused on me. And then she finds herself on the opposite side of things because once she's done with Wendy, Wendy's done with her. And Blubber also gangs up on 
Jill and it's bad. Linda and Wendy become best friends. Yeah. Then suddenly every all the power dynamics in the classroom shift and everybody now hates Jill. Yes. And so Jill now experiences what it's like to be Linda and she does not like it. And she also, you know, doesn't know how to handle it and what the best way is to handle it. But she does, I think, in the end. And I don't know if you've ever had a bullying experience like this, because I, I have mm -hmm. a couple times. And it, I had to handle it that exact same way where you just, first of all, you just kind of weather, <laughs> weather through it and you just kind of, but then you have to find whatever that bully's weakness is. And it's never, don't ever violence, and it's not laughing it off, but it's, um, you know, I had one in an office situation as an adult where I had a, an office built bully who was really mad at me because I got a promotion that she didn't get, which was, you know, not her fault at all, but it wasn't my fault either. But um, she was just like so mad at me. And the way I found her weakness was to just be super nice to her and be like, hey, good morning. And she um, eventually was worn down. I don't know if that would work with Wendy. Probably not going to work with Wendy. I don't know that much would work with Wendy. I really think that she's a tough oh. one. But what did work with Wendy was kind of screwing with her friends friends situation yeah it's a little bit like mean girls where like katie Heron yeah. gets in with the plastics and starts to turn them against each other exactly yeah and that worked and like you said the ending of this book is really open-ended and in a lot of the reviews that i read like that seems to be sort of the prevailing concern that's one of the reasons that this book has been challenged and banned over and over again a lot of ptas and library associations feel like there's no justice at the end and and that sort of no. that seems to be like one of the biggest criticisms of it um obviously not in favor of banning books we don't like that around here yeah no but I do think it's interesting that like that seems to be a bigger problem for people than like the language for example or even the bullying itself yeah no the the people are most angry that nobody learns well obviously Jill does learn people do learn yeah. a lesson but nobody's punished right and I think that that that's so insulting to me to kids because kids are smart enough to know that that ending is a realistic and a great ending. I mean, it's not great for Linda who ends up alone as she always was. And it's not great for Wendy because Wendy doesn't really seem to have learned that she needs to change. Although she does learn she needs to leave people alone to the extent that she was doing it in the beginning of the book. But the teacher doesn't get punished. The teacher doesn't get fired, which she really should be, and so should the music teacher for pulling Linda's hair. I mean, nothing nothing like that happens. But unfortunately, that's the reality. And I think that for kids who read this book, who've been in that situation, they're going to read it and be like, yeah, that's, that's how it is. But the main character does end up with a little more power than she started out with. Yeah. And is, I, I think, empowered in her position. She knows she's never going to bully somebody. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it basically says that. So yeah. that, that, to me, that is a good that's a lesson, but it's very subtle. That's true. And I think a lot of people don't get subtlety. But kids, I think, do. I think kids are pretty good at that. Kids do. And I did read a few reviews written by teens who read the book who talk about how this book was one of the first things that they remember really teaching them about empathy and how, like, five yeah. pages in, they already felt for Linda, for Blubber. They already saw that something wrong was happening and, and it inspired them to, even if it was just like complimenting somebody at their school every day, even if they were kind of like working up to the bravery required to speak up to a bully, which is really hard, they felt like this book sort of planted a seed of empathy in them. And that's important. That is great. Yeah. And I think that that's really important. And just to know, like I said, to know that they're not alone. If that something like this has ever happened to them, that, you know, it's not a situation that is completely rare. It's very common. It's common enough that Judy Bloom wrote about it. Yeah. 
Well, we love Judy, love Queen Judy. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, Meg, but this is sort of like the go-to standard question, so I have to ask it. On the whole, this experience of coming back to Judy Bloom's blubber, how did it compare to your memories of the book? Did it live up to your expectations? Do you feel like it held up? I'd just love to hear about sort of how it compares. Well, you know, it's different. It was different reading it this time because I was reading it more knowing that we were going to have this discussion, right. but also reading it from the point of view of being a writer. And so I was admiring some of the ways that she handled a lot of the language. There was a part that I didn't notice before that I notice now, too, as an adult, where Jill is at the bar mitzvah and she's in the bathroom stall next to her mother. And her, she sees her mother's feet dancing. So good. And I'm like, oh my God, she's pulling her girdle up because it's the 70s. So of course she was wearing that, but the, but she doesn't say that because mm -hmm. obviously the kid wouldn't know that. But like reading it as an adult, you get so much more out of it, at least as a Gen Xer. I was like, oh my God, that's her mother's not dancing. Yeah. <laughs> she's pulling up her whatever control top hose or whatever it is that she's doing. Reading from the point of view of an adult and looking at all the stuff that the adults are doing, I was cracking up because I'm just like, oh. Oh God, that is so funny. And just, I loved it. I mean, I still love it. And I guess in some ways it did surpass my, uh, but uh, reading it as a kid when I was in that kind of situation and being bullied by a group of mean girls. And I do just want to point out that I did look up my mean girl <laughs> online. Oh, I yeah, I looked up my Wendy. I looked up my Wendy and it was shocking, okay? Because she has gone on to become a child psychologist <gasps> because, yeah, because she wrote in her bio that she was sexually abused as a child. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So like that whole time that she was torturing us, mm -hmm. there was stuff going on in her house. I know, I don't mean to like put a damper on this. No, this is fascinating. I was shocked. I was like, wow. So she right. was being abused and then she was turning. And that is so like, you know, there's so many people who are abused who don't go on to abuse others. That is way, way more common than to actually be abused and then abuse people. But that's what she was doing. Not she wasn't sexually abusing us, but she was totally wendying us because she, you know, was having a really hard time at home. And so that, you know, was something as I was reading this, that I was like, wow, I wish we'd had maybe just a little more glimpse into what's going on at Wendy's house. Although she does, as we know, live in Hidden Hills and nobody's watching for the children. Right. <laughs> because that would have been a little interesting because now that I know the truth about my bully, I'm always interested in the backstory of the bullies. Yeah. Well, this is a complicated one and really interesting to talk about. I think Judy is always just like, she's a master. I think she's doing something especially interesting in this book because she's sort of being instructive by showing like a really bad example. And I think people can react to that sometimes by making an assumption that like the author or the creator is like promoting that behavior. And that's not what's yeah, happening no. here. Oh, like it's no. very obvious. Yeah. It's very obvious Absolutely. that Judy is like not happy about what's happening, but that doesn't make it any less difficult to read. And it certainly ages in interesting ways, but I'm so glad we read it. I'm so glad we talked about it. Other than Blubber, Meg, what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners? Well, let me see. The opposite of Blubber, <laughs> which is a totally happy story with like a romance is called, I was just, just came out actually uh, recently is called This Time Is It's Real by Anne Liang is a YA rom-com that is really fun and there's no bullying. Great. <laughs> and, and there's so much great delicious food. I, I, you know, it's weird how I just pay so much attention to what people are eating in books, but cause it's set in, um, I think Shanghai. And so there's, they go out on tons of dates and they eat so much great Shanghai street food. Ooh. And I was like, this is the best book. <laughs> 
Nobody's eating peanut butter sandwiches in this book. I love good Apparently. food writing. It's so yeah, fun. no, it was it's a great. So that's a really fun read. And I'm reading a book that is not for kids, and it's nonfiction. It's uh, Tracy Kidder's Rough Sleepers. I don't know. There was a big excerpt in the New York Times. It's about a doctor who works with unhoused people, and that's. It's very fascinating. Well, I will include links to both of those recommendations in the show notes for this episode. And we have to talk about the fact that you have a new book coming out at the end of this month. Not just a new book, but a new Princess Diaries book. And everybody is freaking out. So what can you tell us about this book coming out on March 28th? What can we expect? Well, it's the 12th volume of the Princess Diaries. Princess Mia is now, you know, she's an adult and she's ruling Genovia, but unfortunately COVID happened. Uh. So it was my exploration in what it would be like to rule your own country, but also have to deal with a pandemic. And um, it was very, I wrote it during the pandemic, so it was very comforting in a way, because I actually did write it when there was a lot of uncertainty and we, you know, people, certainly world, world leaders didn't seem to be making the right choices, in my opinion. And so I got to have a character who, in my opinion, well, she wasn't really sure what choices to make, because at that time, none of us were, but she, uh, she makes some choices and it has what I believe is a pretty happy ending. It's so fun to see you bring her Thank back you. in well, this yeah. way. And- and it's it's fun because um, I'm actually working with a real life princess, Princess Mabel Van Orange of the Netherlands, to donate 10% of my proceeds are going to Princess Mabel's foundation, which is called Vow for Girls, which is to try to stop um, international child marriage, which is a, not not a good thing and has increased a lot since uh, COVID happened. So that's really great. People who buy the book, uh, part of your money will go there. And the, actually, the ebook comes out March 7th. So Oh, so the day that this episode drops, you can go grab the ebook and listeners, yeah. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes too. Oh, wait, it might be March 8th, International Day of the Women, International Women's Day. It's this week, listeners. Get it yes. this week if you're an ebook <laughs> Tuesday. reader. Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, go get it. I can't wait to read it. Meg, it really has been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you for taking the time. I loved every minute of it. Thank you. Me too. This was so fun. Thank you. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>